Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We have been in this series called Romans, looking at the book of Romans for um, a couple of weeks now. And I want to give context. I want to give a little bit of background of Romans so we can better understand what we're looking at today as we dive into Romans 8. See, Romans is written by a man named Paul, who was um, a Jewish rabbi prior to a radical encounter with Jesus. He was a Jewish rabbi following all of the laws, all of the uh, principles and the customs. And, and then he met Jesus and he had a radical transformation and he was commissioned by Christ to be an apostle, to be a representative um, to the Gentiles who are the non-Jews. God said, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to, I want you to take this message, this gospel truth to those who are not from Israel, to those who are non-Jewish. And so he traveled all around the ancient Roman empire to do so, to, to tell them about this risen king, to tell them about this Jesus that he met on the road to Damascus. And as he did, Obviously, there would be people that, that formed this following that would become followers of this risen king, and, and these would become churches. And Paul would write these letters to churches so that he can help them foster their faith, as he can help them answer questions and, and grow and, and all of these things. And so the book of Romans is one of these letters to one of those churches. And so the church in Rome is made up of both Jewish and non-Jewish people, Jews and Gentiles. And uh, at one point, the Roman emperor at the time, Claudius, he had expelled all the Jewish people from Rome. He's like, all the Jews must leave. Um, and so they left and for five years they were gone. But um, after five years, they were allowed to return. They were allowed to come back. And this church that was made up of right Jewish and non-Jewish people, uh, when the Jews came back, the ones that believed in Christ, they realized, um, our church doesn't really follow the Jewish practices and customs anymore. Some things have changed. Um, so much has actually changed. It kind of re- reminds me of like, you know, we can put this into our day. If, uh, you know, you came to church at Summit before 2020, we had communion. We still have communion. But communion was in this cute little plastic cup. And you know what was inside of that cup? Welch's grape juice, people. So good. Welch's grape juice, pure sugar. It was like, mm, good. With a cute little cracker underneath. You know, sometimes it was a cute little bread cube. But, but after, two years later, you come back. Hopefully you weren't gone that long. But you came back. And you're like, what is this new thing that I have? What is this, what is this on-the-go communion cup that I have where I'm peeling back this layer? And if you have finger, long fingernails or no fingernails, you're going to struggle. Um, but what is this grape juice? It doesn't taste like Welch's. What happened to Welch's? And what is this cracker that tastes like styrofoam? I don't know what's happening. Um, obviously, I'm not making fun of the actual meaning of communion because that is holy and sacred. Communion is different now. That's okay. We can still worship the Lord. We can still come to his table. But for the church in Rome, these, these changes in, in steering away from the Jewish practices and customs, it was a problem. It was causing division. It was causing issues. The Roman church was divided and, and they were disagreeing about several things. How to follow Jesus. Should, should the non-Jews practice the Sabbath? Should they, should they celebrate the Sabbath? Do the non-Jews have to be circumcised? Because the Jews have to be circumcised. So many questions, right? So many 
questions, that they were being divided both ethnically and in their preferences for worship. And, and Paul wrote this letter to unify the church, to, to help them become who God wanted them to be, and to give a full, clear explanation of the gospel. And a theme that we have heard Pastor Mel say, that we have heard all throughout this book of Romans, is that God judges sin, but manifests his mercy through Jesus. See, the truth is, Almost every story that we read or hear about has a villain, right? And in our story, our sin nature is the villain, is our villain. We are born with it. No one has to teach you how to be selfish, right? I think we know how to be selfish on our own. No one has to teach a child how to be selfish. He gets a, you know, 50 toys at his new birthday, at his birthday party, you know, his third birthday party, and, and another kid wants to play with it. He's like, mine, you know? No one, he's not like, yours, take it. We don't have to teach a child how to be selfish. We have to teach a child how to share, how to be generous. There is evidence of our sinful nature all around us. People steal, so we have locks, so we have passwords. People lie, so we have courts, we have judges. People, um, people kill, so we have militaries, we have police. See, sin entered the world through Adam. We see this in in Romans chapter five, but we also see this in Genesis, in the beginning of the Bible. Sin entered the world through Adam, the first man on earth, the firstborn. Adam chose, though, to be like God, to determine good and evil for himself, to, to disobey God. Instead of trusting God, he tried to be God. And this led to the fall. It led to sin nature and it has led to us receiving, carrying on that same sin nature. And in this last chapter of Romans Romans 6 that we read, it says the wages of sin is death, right? We, We deserve a punishment for sin that we have taken on. But Jesus came to bring freedom from the enslavement of sin. See, in our culture, we say that we're free, especially in America. We say that we're free, but we stay up at night worrying our guts out, not knowing what's going to happen. We, we say we're free, but we keep buying these things to try to bring happiness. We, we say we're free, but we're, we're living with underlying resentment and anger. And our sin nature begins with our sinful desires. Mel read this scripture last week. It's, it won't be on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. It says, James chapter 1, temptation comes... From our, sin, from our desires. It comes from our desires. It's not the devil made me do it. It's not that person's fault. It's not this reasoning. It comes from our sinful desires. And it, they entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Spiritually gives birth to death. Physically sometimes birth to death. And what we saw last week towards the end of chapter 7, when Paul is writing, he's talking about how sin has this momentum and this force that we can't stop on our own. That that it moves us to places that we don't want to go, that we don't want to experience. But Paul is sharing, there is this war going on within him. There is this war going on because I want to do right, but I keep doing what is wrong. I want to follow God, but I still have sinful desires. So what am I supposed to do? Why do I feel this pull towards sin when I know Christ? He still has sinful desires, and and the reason is is because our sin nature and our new nature in Christ are battling against each other. Paul, a Christian man who wrote most of the New Testament, 
is saying he struggles with this, right? He struggles with this tension. What a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? See, some of us have gotten to this place before. Maybe you feel like you're there right now where you're like, how did I get here? How has sin brought me to this place? How did I arrive at this place? I don't want to do the things I'm doing, but I keep doing them. How could God love me? Look what I've done. I don't want to keep turning to this. I don't want to keep relying on that. I don't want to be stuck in this. If you could stop, if you could just say, I'm done with sin, you would, right? We all would. If we could just be like, delete, no more sinful desires. Wouldn't that be nice? If I could just make myself a a better leader or a better daughter, I'd be like, let's do it. Let's change it right now. If you could make yourself a better husband or mother or father, you would have done it. But the momentum of sin can carry us to a place so far that we become powerless. And this is where we need another force to stop the momentum. We need another force to change the direction. Paul says, who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're going to see what that looks like today. How is Jesus the answer? But why is Paul talking about struggling with sin if he's a Christian? And why do I struggle with sinful desires sometimes if I'm a Christian? Why do we still battle sin? Why do we still fight sin? Am I the only follower of Jesus still fighting sin? (laughs) Thank you. My girl. Um, See, we're going to see this answer today by looking at Romans chapter 8. I love Romans 8. You've seen the whole book of Romans is deep, theologically deep. It is good and tough and amazing all at the same time. And Romans 8 is probably my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. We're only covering part of it today, but I want to jump in right away. So Romans 8, 1 says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. See, Paul may have been feeling condemnation in this struggle that he had, where he says, hey, I'm struggling because I I have sinful desires, but I still want to follow God. But he's reminding himself, Jesus completed the work. Jesus did it all. You are not contemned if, if, if you have this struggle with sin, but you're still seeking to follow God. You're not condemned. For those who belong to Jesus, there's no condemnation. There's no punishment. Other translations say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, for those who are unified with Christ, who are one with Christ. See, since God does not condemn Jesus, he does not condemn those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't condemn those who belong to him. They are free from the guilt of sin. The case is closed. It's over. But think about where we were before this. It's, it's good to think about what you've been saved from or, or what life was like before Christ. Before Christ, we were trapped in our sin. It was our only choice. It was our, it was our default. We had no other default. Our default is sin. Our default is our sin nature. And there is nothing that I hate more than being trapped. Nothing I hate more than feeling trapped. Have you ever, have you ever traveled internationally to maybe like a developing country or uh, a part of the world where there's just too many people and, um, and rode public transportation? 
Was it a pleasant experience? Um, one time we took a team to India with Dr. Raman. He was here just a couple of weeks ago um, over Memorial Day. And we were about to get on the train, this team of, I don't know, I think 11 people about to get on a train to this new destination, a youth camp we were headed to. And Dr. Raman, we're walking, we're getting towards the train station. He says, Steph, I think we're going to need to get seats that like were assigned for this train ride. And I was like, we don't have to, you know, we're not bougie, you know, we're on a mission ship. We don't need to do that. He's like, well, I don't think you understand what's about to happen. Um, if we don't, some of your team probably won't make it on the train. And I was like, what? Why? He's like, there are a lot of people that get on the trains in India. <laughs> and uh, he explained that oftentimes there is such a mad rush and uh, so many people at one time getting on the train that people are being squeezed out, pushed out as the train is still moving. People are literally, you can Google it right now if you want. I don't even care. India train, just Google it. And people are on top of the train. They're hanging on the side of the train, just like it's a part, like, like it's a seat. Like, oh, I reserved the top, you know right where you can fall off. I reserve that part. Like, so we got some assigned C's because I didn't want to take people on a mission trip and have them not come back and be stuck in India. But, um, we arrived at that train station and I don't know if I've ever seen so many people in my entire life. And I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't lose a team member in India. So, um, we weren't trapped that day. We weren't trapped in India. No one was trapped off the train, in the train. We were good. I once visited a friend in South America, my friend Laura, who used to come to Summit here, and uh, she was at IUP, and, but from Bogota, Colombia, in South America. And uh, when I was visiting her, she picked me up at the airport, and then we were, riding, um, we were riding public transportation in a bus. Now, think like Indigo bus, okay? You know, Indigo bus. Fits like 20, 25 people. We were riding in this public bus, and there was like 70 people in this thing. Like, oh, kind of makes me cry thinking about it. Like, I was just holding my little backpack like this, but I'm chest to chest and sweat to sweat and smelling things I don't want to smell and just like so trapped in this thing. I'm starting to get motion sick and I'm like, somebody let me off. I'm trapped in here. I want to be out. There's no way out. I hate being trapped. I hate being trapped in awkward situations. And normally, I'm the one that puts myself there. I hate being trapped in emotional pain when I want to fix something that I can't fix. I hate being trapped, but nothing is worse than being trapped in sin, apart from God, no way out, helpless, hurting, searching. Before I received Jesus, there was no way out, but Christ made a way so I could belong, so you and I could belong to him. See, what we're talking about may feel like a churchy word. It's called salvation. Salvation is freedom from the punishment and condemnation of sin. When we accept Christ's perfect sacrifice, we make him our savior. His blood washes us free of guilt, of our guilt. But salvation is not the end. Salvation opens up the door to the next gift. Sanctification. Another churchy word. Sanctification means the power, or sorry, freedom from the power of sin. See, verse one shows us that we are free from the guilt of sin. There is no condemnation, there is no punishment, there is no guilt for those in Christ. But verse two, we see we have been freed from the power of sin. The power of sin is gone. See, one day we will live, when Christ returns, we will live in a world, we will live in redeemed bodies where there is no battle against our sin nature. We are free. There's no death. There's no mourning, right? There's no sin. There's no sadness. But on this earth, we have a mission. 
For now in this world that is marred by sin, we get to be light in the darkness. We get to be light to people who are trapped in sin, who have not found Christ, who do not belong to him, who do not know the freedom that he can give. We get to embrace sanctification, the process of freedom from the power of sin. But unlike salvation, which happens in an instant, the moment you, you confess Christ, you are free. It is done. Sanctification is not instantaneous. It is more of a process. It is a race that we run. It is a war that we fight. It is the process of becoming like Christ as you follow him. But here is the game changer. The game changer is that when we receive him, we receive, we are given the Holy Spirit. We are given a helper to guide us on this journey, to guide us as we become more like Christ. When Jesus was preparing to go back to heaven with his father, he says this to his disciples. He said, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go I'm going to send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. We can be grateful that he went away and sent the Holy Spirit instead, that he sent the helper because we've been convicted of our sin, but now we've been set free. See, instead of just wiping away our sinful desires or temptations from our minds, God did something so much better. He gave us a helper. He gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us in loving him, in loving others, in pursuing good. And in light of that desire, sin begins to lose its appeal in our lives. We get to experience the power of sin being gone. It becomes ugly. It becomes distasteful. See, my husband, Gil, and I, it's still weird to say that if I'm being honest. My husband, Gil, and I have been talking to, to some of our friends. We were talking to some of our friends a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about how they haven't eaten um, added sugar in years. They were talking about, hey, we, we feel, you have no idea. We feel so good now. We have so much energy, and I'm drinking my coffee for the, like, third cup, and I'm like, that sounds nice, you know? <laughs> We have so much energy now. We haven't, had, we haven't had added sugar. And we're like, okay. So June 1st, I get a text message from Gil. We should not eat sugar for this month. I'm like, okay, fine. So I'm competitive. So I said, fine, let's do it. So we decided added sugar, at least to us, means no sweets, no desserts, okay? If it looks like it has a whole bunch of sugar, just don't eat it, basically. Um, but I need to give you some context for our lives. We really love ice cream, like a lot, like too much. We have sweet, sweet teeth. <laughs> we had been going to the meadows. I feel bad saying this, but we support local businesses. So we, we have been going to the meadows like three or four times a week, probably. Thank you. <laughs> Keeping them in business. But let me just tell you how things have gone down, okay? So I told you I get a text. Day one, I get a text from Gil. It's around lunchtime, and I was talking to our receptionist, who happens to be the person that inspired me and Gil to make this decision. And, um, and I get this text from Gil, let's not do sugar for the month of June. I literally had just eaten a bite-sized Snickers from the candy jar at the receptionist's desk. And I was like, don't tell Gil that I just did this, because I already ruined today. Okay, so then, same day, he's getting ready, to, he's leaving uh, to go home from work, and... I get a call. I'm like, why, I, why is he calling me? He just saw me. He goes, um, Steph, I just, 
accidentally ate a candy bar on my way out. <laughs> he also stopped at the desk and grabbed a candy bar because he forgot. He, we subconsciously went right to it, right? So that night, it's Wednesday night, we've got youth, you know? We gotta invest into the leaders that are pouring into the youth. So what we normally do, what is habit, is we say, do you wanna go to the meadows after youth tonight? And so we propose this idea and then we both remember, oh crap, we're not doing that, right? We're not doing that. Um, and it was a battle, but we didn't do it. So the next day, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, all right, June 2nd, I can do this. <laughs> I check the Meadows flavors on the calendar, okay? If you don't have a calendar, you can look it up. It's on their Facebook page now. I check the, I check the flavors. I'm like, okay, it's not the flavors I want. We're good. We can do this. I kind of want chocolate, but I'm going to continue on. Praise God, Meadows didn't have my flavors today. Okay, next day, we go to a graduation party. More like three, because when you're the youth pastor and the youth pastor's wife, you get invited to every single graduation party. Um, you know what's at graduation party? Desserts. Like good desserts, like homemade ones or cake or everything. And so we're like, you know what? Stay strong. The next day I'm like, I'm sick of this. I have to find something to fix this. And so I pretty much buy Martin's entire produce section and get every single fruit that exists in this world today because I'm like, no, I need something to consume instead, right? I need something instead. I need fruit instead. And so literally every night now we're like, you want a fruit bowl? I'm like, yep. <laughs> so we eat fruit bowls and uh, we have blackberries, we have bananas, we have strawberries, blueberries, kiwi, kiwi. Guys, for 29 years of my life, I've eaten kiwi with the skin on and so has the rest of my family. And I won't look at them today because I didn't even know you really eat it without the skin. So just take that and think less of me. But anyway, so we found these fruits that have satisfied the craving. And honestly, I'm, I'm beginning to desire the fruit more. I'm beginning to desire that more. But for those who are much better than me and who have given up added sugar for a long time, my friend for years who've said, I have better energy, things are different. They're like, we don't, it doesn't even look good. We don't even crave it anymore. It doesn't even sound appealing anymore. I don't even want it. I don't even crave that. The sweets are still there for them. The sweets are still there for us, right? They're still surrounded. They're still surrounding us. Sin still surrounds us. It still exists, but it can become less appealing because with the power of the Holy Spirit that we have been given, we can be victorious over it. We can crave something new. We can desire something new. We can be drawn to something new. The power of the Holy Spirit is so much greater. Verse three says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Remember, he's writing to Jews who have been so focused on keeping the law. The law of the Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Paul's reminding the Roman church, the law can guide us. It can teach us. It can tell us about God's character, but it couldn't change our sin nature. It was never meant to be a solution to the problem of sin. The law could detect sin, but the law could not defeat sin. Only Jesus could do that. 
And so God did what the law could not do. By sending Jesus, God put the power of sin to death. It is defeated. It cannot win against the power of God. It cannot win against the power of the Holy Spirit. His power is so much greater. Jesus bore the condemnation, the guilt for our sin that we deserved and was treated as if he was a sinner so that we would be treated as if we were righteous, as if we kept the law, as if we never broke the law. We are so undeserving of this. We used to be slave to our sin nature, but now we have a sin-fighting nature. And God himself helps us by the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit never um, makes us do anything or, or pushes himself in and forces himself in. He's always invited in, right? We invite him in. We invite the Holy Spirit to change us. And we have to do the same in our, in our battle with sin. We have to invite him to fight with us, to fight for us, to work with us, to make us, to be, help us become who, we're, who we were created to be. We have to invite him to help us walk in our new nature rather than our sin nature. Now, there's something you need to know. Maybe you already know. I'm very competitive, okay? It doesn't matter what it is. I always want to win. I don't care how stupid it is. I don't care if it's throwing a piece of paper or a water bottle in the trash can. I want to do it better than you did, okay? I am competitive. I want to turn everything into competition, and I serve at youth now with Gil, and we have some hangout time before and after services. You know, uh, if you've never seen the youth activity room, you should see it. There's lots of things to do. There's, there's ping pong. There's basketball. There's spike ball. There's so many things. And I'm going to be honest. I have no mercy for your children. I have no mercy that they should ever win, except when they beat me. But, you know, losing is good for the soul. But... I have no mercy. I will play knockout until I can't breathe because I didn't say I'm in shape anymore. I said that I'm competitive. Um, I've been a softball player my whole life and I haven't played as much anymore, but I've been playing since I was tiny. My older sisters played as well and I kind of followed in their footsteps. So I remember just being sent to the backyard. Got to do 100 pitches up against, this, uh, up against this screen to practice your softball pitch. Got to hit off the tee. Got to do this. And I... I can't even imagine how many softballs I've hit in my entire life, just from all the practice, all the work, right? But even though I don't play much anymore, if you handed me a bat right now, I'd probably grip it, I'd probably hold it and start to swing it, just, just like a softball bat, just like it's second nature, just as if I was going to, were going to use it, because it is second nature. But something's changed in me recently. <laughs> I've shifted to wanting to play tennis, Okay. Gil and I played tennis on our honeymoon. Now I want to become a tennis player. We played the best of three matches for three days in the blazing hot sun in Costa Rica. And I've decided I, I want to be Serena Williams the second. Actually, I just want to beat Gil. That's pretty much the rest of my goals. But if you, if you know anything about tennis, you know you cannot swing a tennis racket the same way you swing a softball bat. Because if you do your ball will be stuck in the fence or it will be long gone over the fence, right? I, we even did golfing on our honeymoon. I, I did a horrible job. I even sent a video to my brother and he was like, you're swinging it like a softball bat. It's second nature. So I want to tell you about how our, how our tennis went because I know that you care. Okay, so we played three days of tennis. Day one, I'm feeling good, okay? Beat him. Two matches to one. 
Take that, husband. Um, I'm focused, okay? I've got a good backhand. I've got a good forehand. That's all I know about tennis. So those are all the terms I know, but I did great. Day two, I'm not doing so good. I'm off my game. I lose the first two matches, but I come back with a win because it's how you finish, okay? It's not how you start. It's how you finish, okay? I'm annoyed that I lost one, that I'm not undefeated, but it's fine. We have, we have a tied score at this point. We're going into day three, the championship round, okay? Best of three, championship match. We're dead even. We're going back and forth. Inside, I'm starting to get concerned because we've both won one at this point. We're on the final match. Literally, it's down to the line. Who's going to win the honeymoon open? And I notice I'm starting to lose. And I start getting frustrated with myself. I start getting extra competitive. And I start realizing the ball is kind of going in a line drive. I'm starting to revert back to my old swing. I'm starting to revert back to my old nature, to what I know. And I lose the honeymoon open. I know. It kind of makes me teary-eyed. And I'm glad that you have sympathy because... I'm still mad about it, but it's okay. But as I, as I continue in this game of tennis, as I continue to play, I am working on setting aside this old swing, setting aside this old nature, and focusing on a new form that I'm after, focusing on a new nature that I'm after. But it's hard because I've swung that way my whole life, right? It feels like it's a part of me. And in a similar way, we still have a sin nature within us. And sometimes it's difficult not to follow that because it feels like it's our nature. It's difficult to not revert back to the way we've been doing, to the way we've been living our whole lives. But we must consistently and consciously seek to follow our new nature that we have been given. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I have to train my mind and muscle memory to default to something new. Verse 5 says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Do you see where it's saying letting the sinful nature control or letting the spirit control? We have a choice, right? What are you going to allow? Other translations that I've looked at, it says, it talks about instead of letting the spirit control, it talks about setting your mind on the spirit or setting your mind on the sin nature, an easy way to determine if we're living in the spirit or living in our sin nature is where our mind is set. Where are we setting our mind? The mind is the battleground where the sin nature and the spirit fight. See, in our mind, that's where we fight to have desires that please the spirit instead of the sinful desires. Remember, sinful desires, um, it starts with our sinful desires. It starts with that, and that's what leads to sin. So we must go to the starting place in our mind to have desires that please the Spirit instead of desires that please our sin nature. Setting our mind on what the Spirit desires, Scripture says, will lead to life and peace. What we focus our minds on has direct consequences for how we live our lives. 
much of the Christian life comes down to the mind because what we choose to meditate on matters. So how do you set your mind on what pleases the spirit or what actually, what does he desire? What pleases the spirit? I wanna read you this verse, Philippians 4, 6 to 8. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So first of all, we have to be going to God, praying to him, telling him what we need, thanking him so that his peace will guard our minds. And then it says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. You ever like give someone advice or ask them to do something? They're like, oh yeah, yeah, one more thing, one more thing. Don't forget this part, right? Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. See, what is excellent and worthy of praise, what is all of these things are what the word of God that he gives us. Jesus is all of these things. He is true. He is lovely. He is admirable. He is pure. But he, he tells us these truths in his word. Just like Pastor Kim said, we, we can read Psalm 23 and be reminded that he will walk with us through the valley, that he will be with us on the mountain, that he's always going to be there, that he is a good shepherd, that he guides our every step. We can recount our blessings when we read the Psalms, when we read Proverbs, but we have to fix our mind on what is true. It's not just what is pure, what is lovely. Oh, I look lovely today. No, it's about what the spirit desires and what he desires he has laid out in his word. We have to be feeding our minds. No one has to tell me to feed myself, right? I know I need fed. We have to be feeding our minds because that is what our minds need, the truth of God. How do I set my mind on the spirit? We have to be diligent about what we are consuming and letting into our minds. We can be setting our minds on worry, constant worry, or we can set our minds on thanking God for what he's done, for giving him our every prayer, our needs. We can be feeding our mind God's word as we talked about what is true. We can, be, we can choose to, to listen to music that just entertains, which is fine, or especially when we need it, we can choose to listen to, to words based on scripture that will declare the truth and promises over our lives of God. We can choose to consume media that is making us take on the weight of the world. We can consume media that's leading us to lust. We can consume media that's just helping us escape our pain that we're really running from, from God. I am most guilty of that. Or we can say, okay, God, I invite you in. I invite you into this place. I invite you in to help me heal. Take inventory of what you're consuming and why. Because when we do this, we can interpret life through God's lens, through the Holy Spirit and his inspiration, rather than our preferences, the opinions of others, our trauma, our woundedness, our experience. It all comes down to letting the Holy Spirit have authority in our lives. The other translations say, letting the Holy Spirit govern your lives. You choose, you elect. We're not gonna get in political conversation, but you choose, you elect who you want to govern, right? Who you want to guide and rule you, who you want to, to reign. And in the same way, we must choose the Holy Spirit in our lives to allow him to lead, to be directing our lives, to be um, giving us everything that we need 
we allow the course of our lives to be directed by the Holy Spirit, but it is a daily decision to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us his power. You can do everything as the Spirit of God empowers you, as he enables you. You can parent, you can lead a family, you can have hard conversations, you can coach a team, you can do everything as the Spirit of God empowers you, as he enables you. You don't have to do it alone. So maybe if you're tired, maybe if you're exhausted or confused today, you can ask the Holy Spirit, empower me today, help me today. Maybe that's what it's time for. See, every part of our lives can be empowered. We cannot have power over sin. We cannot be power, have power to be a witness for Christ if we are not given the power of the Holy Spirit. He never wanted us to do life alone, but he gives us this beautiful life so we can walk, so we can talk, so we can be led, so we can be guided, so we can be empowered by him. It is not just a one-time thing, but a daily decision. He guides our each step. And a benefit of living in the spirit is that we produce fruit for God. When we follow our sin nature, we do not produce fruit, right? Sin does not produce fruit. But when we follow the Holy Spirit, we can produce fruit for, for God. In John 15, it says, I am the vine. This is Jesus talking. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, if you are in me, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, we have to get to this place where we say, yeah, the Holy Spirit is everything good in me. It gives me the power that I need to produce fruit in this world, to produce good fruit. We can not only overcome sin, but we can produce what the Holy Spirit desires. If we allow him to govern our lives, if we give him full permission every day to rule and reign. And this is what he will produce. It says in Galatians 5, but the Holy Spirit, not but you on your own strength by yourself, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, pa peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what I want my life to exemplify. Jesus says, actually, you, you will know them by your fruit. You'll know the believers by their fruit. We are meant to live and look different from the rest of the world. And we have no shot without embracing the Holy Spirit, without allowing him to do what he wants to do in our lives, to lead us to places where we will produce good fruit, where we will see lives made different. So many times in my life, I, I live like it's up to me to figure out my own path, to fix this problem, to find solutions, but I have access and you have access to a power that is like none other. Verse nine says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember, those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. The Holy Spirit is given to us at salvation when we receive him. But not only are we in Christ, Christ is in us. 
Christ dwells in you. Christ dwells in me. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that brought him back to life, now lives inside of us. This is a power like none other, right? The reason we, we cheer and shout and celebrate Easter and celebrate every day of our lives that we have life is because the same spirit is in us. The same exact spirit. This is the kind of power that destroys sin. This is the kind of power that leads us to build lives, to build the kingdom of God, lives that honor Jesus, lives that produce fruit, lives that love well. I want a life where people see Christ in me and the best news is I can. And the only reason I can is because it's his spirit in me. There is unmatched power in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. God's spirit in us changes everything. We can experience his power and his presence every single day, every single moment, every single season that we walk through. But remember, God didn't just delete our sinful desires. He didn't just wipe away our temptation. He did something better. Because when we choose, when we walk in his spirit, we put sin to death too. His spirit in us puts sin to death. He guides us in loving him and loving others and sin begins to lose its appeal. And may we live lives where sin becomes so distasteful, but the spirit of God, the fruit that he produces is what we crave, is what we're after, is what we long for. We know if we have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus. So has the Holy Spirit led you to Jesus? Does he put in the desire in you to honor Jesus? Is he leading you to be more like him? Is he at work in your heart? Verse 12 says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You're free from that. You're not enslaved anymore. For if you live by his dictates, you will die. We need reminded sometimes that our sin nature leads to death, don't we? Sometimes we think sinful things will lead to life. But it says, if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. When we live by the Holy Spirit, by his power, we are following God and putting to death our sinful desires. We as I said, now have the power to put sin to death. Whereas before, we had no power. If it weren't for his spirit, we'd be enslaved to sin once again. It says, for all who are led by the spirit are children of God. Not everyone is a child of God. People can wrongly believe that because human, human beings are made in God's image, we're all God's children but that's not what the Bible says. That's not what scripture says. He says that every human yes is designed by God, loved by him, but we only become his children when we have been adopted by him. Being a child of God means that we are in the family of God, that we live in a way that desires to please our father, that we have access to him and his throne, that we have a father who will supply all our needs, that we have a father who cares about our growing and our maturing, that we have a family where we are learning to be in this family of God. Paul didn't say all who go to church are children of God. All who read their Bibles are children of God. All who are patriotic Americans are children of God. The test for someone as a child of God is are they led by the spirit of God? 
Are you led by the Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit lead you? He leads you by his guidance, by his drawing, by his authority as we cooperate with his leading. And where are the places that he leads us? He leads us to repentance. He leads us to think less of ourselves and more of him, more of Christ. He leads us into truth, into love, into holiness, into usefulness. Verse 15 says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. See, the progression that we have seen is that we went from slaves to sin to slaves to God, which really would have been enough if we would have stopped there, that we're not trapped in our sin any longer, that we are, our master is God, our father, that we have slaves to God. We've gone from slaves to sin to slaves to God to children of God, to heirs with Christ. Receiving the inheritance that Christ himself will get, that Christ himself receives. I love the truth, though, of being adopted into the family of God as his own children. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege um, of going to an adoption hearing for a family in our church, a beautiful family, the Griffiths, who have been fostering two boys for a long time. And they had been hoping and praying and and looking forward to the day where along with their three biological children, they could say, "Now, now these two boys, they're ours. They're ours now. And I remember this powerful moment listening to their their soon-to-be father declare from the stand to the judge, to the attorney, to all who were present, that in committing to adopt them, that he will choose to love these two boys as if they're his own as if they were his firstborn. That he will provide for them financially. He will give them everything that they need. That he will be present for them emotionally in whatever they're going through. And that he will lead them spiritually. And that these boys will have the same inheritance as any child that is born to him. See, it was, I remember the, the attorney asking, is it, is it in the boy's best interest that they are adopted? And he said, yes, and it was. It was in the boy's best interest. And on that day, the Griffith boys were legally adopted. Everything changed. Their names changed, their family changed, their, inher- their inheritance changed, their rights changed. See, they are Griffiths legally. They are adopted legally on that day, but they're still learning how to be Griffiths. They're still learning, what, how does the family love? How do they think? What do they do? It's a work that is completed by the Holy Spirit, but it is also a process. If one of the boys messes up, the parents aren't going to say, the father is not going to say, you know what? You're not a Griffith anymore. You're out. You messed up, you're done. He's going to say, hey, buddy, you messed up, but you're still ours. We're not giving up. We're here to help you become all that God wants you to be. We're going to walk with you. We're going to get through this. Let me show you the right way. And in the same way, we have been adopted and it was in our best interest. And in fact, it changed everything. 
that God says, I will adopt my children. It changed everything for the Griffith boys and it changed everything for us. That we have a father who says, I'll love you like I love my own son. The way that I love Jesus, I will love you. The way that I do love Jesus right now is how much I love you. He will be present for us emotionally in whatever we walk through. He will provide for our every need that we have. He will lead us spiritually, helping us become who we're meant to be, helping us become like our father. See, it talked about how we can call him Abba, Father. This is the way that Jesus called his father. Jesus called his dad Abba, Father, which in the Aramaic means daddy. And we can refer to the God of the universe just like Jesus does. That we can call him daddy, that we can say, hey, just like, just like my brother in Christ, just like Jesus calls you daddy, I can refer to him and address him and, and have a relationship with him in the same way that Christ does. Because I am in Christ. You are in Christ if you belong to him. God loves you like he loves Jesus. And we receive an inheritance that we do not deserve, which is honestly a whole nother sermon for itself. An inheritance only meant for the firstborn, Jesus. We get to take part in that. We also experience the glory and suffering of what it means to be in the family of God. And we're not perfect. We're not gonna get it right all the time. And when we don't, God isn't gonna say, you're out. He says, there's no condemnation. I've given you my spirit. Let's keep going. Let's keep walking. Let's keep pursuing. We are learning to be in the family of God. We are learning what it means, how to love, how to think, how to, how to work, what to do. How does this family function? We are learning to be children of God, but we are children of God. The Holy Spirit completes that process as we are led by him as we are led by the spirit and as we allow him to lead while on this earth sin can begin to lose its appeal when we understand our identity that this is who he calls us to be right that we are adopted we are chosen that he loves us just like his son we can walk confidently in that god doesn't just save us from sin's condemnation he gives us the holy spirit he adopts us into his family. So grateful for that. And right now, I just want to turn it over to our host in Blairsville. For those in Blairsville, we're going to turn it over to Pastor Colin. Um, so glad that you guys joined us today. We hope you have a great day. Now, if you're here today and you haven't been adopted in because you're still slave to sin, right? Step one is receiving Christ's payment receiving his sacrifice. You feel trapped, you feel slave to sin. God, I wanna tell you, God has prepared a way for, you to, for him to call you his, for you to be in the family. And it's all because of the grace of God. God judges sin, but manifests his mercy through Jesus. All of this mercy from slaves to sin, to slaves to God, to adopted, to heirs with Christ, so much mercy. He still judges sin. He's still good in judging sin. But he's shown us so much mercy. He's shown us no condemnation. And today there's salvation here because of Christ. There's freedom from condemnation 
and the power of sin because of Christ. And I want you to experience that today. So do me a favor, bow your head and close your eyes in the room today. I wanna pray, God, I thank you so much that, God, that you show us mercy that is so undeserved. All we do, we were powerless and all we do is say, yes, I, I receive your sacrifice. I accept and I, I make you Lord. I make you savior, guide my life that you change everything. God, thank you for salvation that's available to us, that we can be free from guilt of sin, that we can be free from the power of sin. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit that you give to us when we receive you. We wanna follow you. And maybe God, there are some here today that they say, Steph, that, that sounds amazing, but yeah, I'm at step one. I'm at step one where I need to first not become enslaved to sin any longer. I need the power of Christ to break me from my sin, but to free me from my sin. Because of his payment, you can experience that today. You can experience life and peace and no condemnation. So today with no one looking around with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna ask if you wanna receive that today, if you wanna follow Christ, because you can do that today. He has made it available. So if that's you, if you say, Steph, I'm not following God, but I want to, would you do me a favor? I wanna pray with you right where you're at. I just want you to raise your hand and we're gonna pray a prayer together. So if you say, Steph, that's me, I need to receive Christ today. I wanna follow him. Would you raise your hand in the room right now? Yeah, I see you on the right. Thank you. I see you in the balcony. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else wanna join these? Well, let's pray this prayer together for those who have raised their hands. God, we thank you that you defeated sin. God, we thank you that you want to bring us in to your family. You have freed us from sin and condemnation. Today we receive you. We make you Lord and we choose to follow you. Thank you, God, for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Yeah, we can give them a round of applause. You know, as I said, it is the Holy Spirit that draws, right? The Holy Spirit, for those that accepted Christ today, the Holy Spirit drew you in so that you could be in the best way convicted of sin so that you can know freedom today. I'm so excited for you. I'm so happy for you that you've joined the family of God. And honestly, scripture says that all of heaven rejoices when just one comes to the Father. And so we celebrate your decision today because it will change everything, but continue to lean into the Holy Spirit, to be empowered by him as you do. If you made that decision today, I wanna help you. We wanna help you on your journey. We wanna resource you. We wanna walk alongside you so that you're not left alone to follow God. We wanna be with you. And so you can do me a favor. If you raised your hand or maybe you made that decision and you didn't raise your hand, you can text Summit PA to the number 94,000 and uh, just hit salvation and we will follow up with you. We will give you a Bible. We will give you things that you need as you grow on this faith journey, right? It's a process of becoming like Christ. 
And so we need each other and we need God's word to do that. Um, but before we end today, we're gonna have one more song of worship. And, and I just wanna encourage you, maybe there's something that, that we talked about today and the Holy Spirit's dealing with that in you. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's um, sin's been too appealing. Maybe you haven't recognized that you can be empowered daily by the Holy Spirit. Maybe you haven't realized the power that's made available to you, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. I wanna encourage you to agree with someone about that today. Let someone pray with you today because as we sing this last song, the prayer team's gonna come forward to the front of the stage and, and they're gonna be there to pray with you. So take advantage of this opportunity to pray with someone, whatever you need. Maybe you've just got a need that you wanna request prayer for, do so. But as we sing this last song, you can go ahead and stand. I wanna encourage you to respond to worship as you are being led, as God guides you because he is worthy of all of our praise, guys. Thank you so much for your time today. Love you guys, let's worship again.